So how about the title of this episode, guys? Weird, am I right? Why should you keep old sheets? Welcome to the Pilgrim Feet Podcast, an audio companion to the Our Pilgrim Feet blog that helps you achieve self-sufficiency and your own brand of freedom. I'm your host, Katie Sutton-Smith, and I'm so thankful you decided to join me today. There's a fine, thin line between being thrifty and frugal and becoming a hoarder. And we all want to stay safely on the thrifty and frugal side of that line, right? I was doing research for blog posts associated with the idea of recycling home goods, and boy did I come across some ideas that really do border on hoarding. Like most things with running your home or homestead, you have to figure out what's going to work for you, your family, and your situation. But there are definitely ways you can save money by recycling and reusing household items like old bedsheets, or old clothes. The idea of reusing old clothes in the house is actually one I've grown up with, and some of you with frugal grandparents and parents probably grew up with a variation of some of these ideas as well. So how did it start in my life? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. Growing up, my mother Grammy had all these really awesome dusting rags. They were there from as early as I can remember, up until just a few years ago, when the last one finally had too many holes to be useful for dusting any longer. What were these rags? Failed cloth diapers. My skin was too sensitive for any detergents of the 80s, and so my parents were forced to spend money on disposable diapers for diapering. But those cloth diapers, they lasted for 30 years helping with chores around the house. But I'll admit, it's a big leap from saving some cloth diapers to saving holy bed sheets, right? Well, before we really dig into the sheets issue, let's consider some of the other things that can be recycled around the house. Clothing is a pretty obvious one. Soft t-shirts when they get too many holes can make great dusting cloths and rags. If you have old ratty jeans, you can turn them into everything from an apron that's perfect for gardening to a skirt or even break them down and turn them into backing for a picnic blanket. Clothing in general, if it isn't in good enough shape to be donated to others, is great for repurposing and reusing. And that's the name of the game, right? So before you throw it away, ask yourself three questions. One, is it in good enough shape that someone else will also get good use out of it? Two, could it be recycled rather than thrown away? Or three, can it be repurposed into something new? There are many things we use every day that we think of as single use, that the world has labeled as single use. But thrifty, savvy-minded people realize they are actually very, very versatile. Even those single-use plastic grocery bags everyone's so down on right now most people have figured out they are a much cheaper alternative than small trash bags. They'll use them for keeping trash. They'll use them for cleaning out the litter box. They'll use them for taking care of diapers. They'll use them for poop bags when they take their dog to the park. They are so versatile. There's no such thing as a truly single-use piece of plastic. While I'm a big fan of reusing and repurposing single-use items, however, the more into that aspect of thrifty saving, 
the greater the likelihood you'll find you've accidentally become a hoarder. I'm sure some of you have seen this in grandparents that lived through the depression and passed away. When my grandmother died and Grammy and I started going through her things, we were shocked at some of the just flat out hoarder-like things she'd saved. My grandparents had lived through the depression. They saved everything, especially if they spent money on it. Yes, they still washed their aluminum foil. Lots of people's grandparents did. Some parents still do and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But what stood out to me the most many, many years later was jars of rubber bands and curtain hooks kept in the kitchen cupboard and the vats of maple syrup and tins of fruitcake that had been frozen in the freezer. Look, I'm all for saving rubber bands when you come across them. I'm all for saving anything that you'll repurpose or reuse as long as you repurpose or reuse it, and this is really important, in a timely fashion. That's a really important point because it's easy to get wrapped up in this mindset of, oh, I can't throw this out. I might need it later. Or I have to save this because I might do this craft eventually. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the first step to finding your home absolutely overwhelmed with stuff you will likely never use. And by the time you do, it really won't be worth using anymore. And rubber bands, they are a great example of this. We all save them, but hey, guess what? After a few months, sometimes a few years, they stop working and they start deteriorating. By the time my grandmother passed away, these rubber bands carefully shoved together in a great big ball in a giant reused pickle jar had become a blob of sticky, stuck together brittle rubber that was completely useless. It was a jar of trash whose contents should have been thrown away a long time ago. That reused pickle jar was literally worth more than the trash inside of it. So let's avoid moving too close to that line. When you come across something you're struggling to throw away, there's a process you can work through to decide if it's worth keeping. Now this is a process I've had to teach myself to use because I'm such a pack rat and I easily fall into the, but I might need this mindset. So first, evaluate whether it is in fact something you actually need. For example, do you really need to keep your single use coffee pods or single serving yogurt containers? Well, if you do your own seed starting for your garden, then it might be worthwhile to keep them because single-use coffee pods, single-serving yogurt containers, even cardboard egg cartons, clear soda bottles, and milk jugs, all of these are things that can be used as cheap or free seed starters and can be easily stored away for use between seasons. Now on the flip side, things like those curtain hooks that went to a curtain rod in my grandmother's house, that curtain rod hadn't seen curtains that needed hooks since the 70s. She definitely didn't need two whole pickle jars of them that were shoved into a long forgotten corner of her kitchen. If you look at it and you could have used it and you might someday use it, 
go ahead and get rid of it. Because chances are, you won't. And chances are, you don't. Next, ask yourself, do you actually really want it? Do you really want to make coasters out of all of those old AOL installation CDs that you've been keeping since Y2K? If you haven't made the coasters by now, I think it's probably safe to say you don't really want to. And it's probably time to let the CDs go. If it is something that you want, ask yourself if it's something you actually want to have secondhand. Clothing is a great example of this, and no article of clothing is better than underwear. Do you really want to use used underwear? No. No, you don't. Of course you don't. Go out and buy or make new underwear and get rid of your old ones. And I want to take a moment to talk about this. Um, don't donate old underwear either. No reputable secondhand organization is going to take your old underpants. It's not hygienic. It is literally better to cut them up and use them as rags around your house or to throw them away than to just give them to a secondhand organization that will throw them away for you. As great as it is to reuse and repurpose, we also have to be reasonable. Sometimes it's better to spend a little money and get something new, either because it's a necessity, like underwear, or because it's a treat. I mean, look, my grandmother was from the South, from North Carolina, and I totally get the whole meme of leftovers carried out of the house in a margarine container. It's super convenient and useful to reuse those plastic containers. But there's also nothing wrong with indulging in a nice new set of glass storage dishes and clearing some of those old plastic containers out from under your counter. It's probably a little healthier for you too. If you neither want something and you don't need something, but it's still in good shape, then it's time to donate it. And there are lots of secondhand shops and organizations that love to get secondhand items in good condition. You're not limited to the big ones that everybody knows. Um, look for shelters in your community, especially women's and children's shelters. Those are great places to take old clothes and toys. Look for organizations that pull together professional clothing for people from low-income families that are trying to get a better job. There are lots and lots of smaller options that are desperate for those kinds of donations. Step four, if you don't want it, you don't need it, and it's not in good enough shape to donate, it's okay to throw it away. Then with everything you decide you just have to keep, there's one last step you need to go through. You need to set a time limit for when you're going to use it. Now, I make some exceptions to this rule. There are items that you'll only use during a certain time of the year, like gardening supplies or holiday decorations, and those have a different evaluation process. Then you have items that I like to call evergreen items. These are things like extra fabric that you bought while you were making a quilt that you know you're going to use for a project, but you haven't come across quite the right pattern for them yet. Um, I have fabric for my house and for Grammy's house that will not get used before we move because it's curtain fabric. But I know I'm going to use it. 
I even have an idea in mind of what I'm going to use it for. But it wasn't going to be available, so I bought it while it was available. Those things are evergreen. They're going to have a purpose. Their time just hasn't come yet. But you need to set a time limit for everything else that isn't seasonal and isn't evergreen. You need to tell yourself, if I haven't cut this pile of old shirts into rags by the end of the month, then I'm just going to throw them out because obviously I don't have time or inclination to do it. Now, for seasonal things, stuff that you only use during certain times of the year, you need to sit down and say to yourself, okay, when gardening season rolls around, any pots that I don't use for seed starting this year are going to get thrown away. Same thing with Christmas decorations. If I don't remember to pull this box of decorations out this year, then I'm going to donate those and plan to give them away next year. And yes, there's a part of you that's going to hurt when you do it, but in the long run, shedding yourself of that excess weight is going to make you a lot happier. Now, I wanna take a moment here to stop and talk about three key ideas. Moderation is key. One man's trash is another man's treasure and the power of no but thank you. You heard me mention earlier that my grandparents kept large vats of maple syrup and tins of fruitcake in their freezer. And both of those ideas are very relevant to what we're about to talk about. Moderation is key applies to those vats of syrup. My grandparents had visited a maple syrup factory in Vermont one year. And my grandfather loved the maple syrup so much he literally bought more maple syrup than he could have possibly eaten in his lifetime. Literally. He bought so much of it that when my grandmother passed away in her 80s, they still had four gallon-sized vats in their freezer. It was a completely unreasonable purchase. There was no way he was ever going to eat that much syrup and not if he had 50 years to spare and had all his grandchildren over for pancakes every morning was he going to eat that much syrup. So it doesn't matter if you master the art of clearing things out that you don't want, if you overindulge on the things that you do want. Moderation is key. Don't buy a bunch of beans because they're on sale if your family never eats beans. Don't save all the syrup just in case you decide you might eat pancakes every day for 20 years. Which he totally didn't. Everything in moderation. Secondly, I want to talk about the power of no, but thank you. And this is an important skill to learn for everybody. Not just because it helps you not accept gifts that you don't want, but because it helps you set boundaries with people around you. Why did my grandmother have fruitcakes rotting away in her freezer? Because her favorite cousin sent them to her every year. And being a Southern lady, she wasn't going to seem ungrateful by saying she didn't like fruitcake. She never ate them. So every year, she got a fruitcake from her cousin, and every year put that fruitcake in the freezer and never touched it. How much better would it have been if she had brought herself to say, No thank you, I'm not that fond of fruitcake, but I appreciate so much that you thought of me. 
And then her cousin would have been able to get her a Christmas gift she knew my grandmother enjoyed. Now, Grammy and I were talking about this very same concept just a couple weeks ago, and we went around and around and around on the idea that by telling someone who wants to give you a gift, no, I don't like that, you're going to hurt their feelings. I've been on both sides of this. I have been a person who bought a gift that wasn't appreciated and later found it in the trash. And I've also been a person who offered to purchase a gift and was told that wasn't something they would appreciate. I have to say, personally, and I would agree that this varies from person to person, but personally, I find it much more hurtful to have gone to the effort of finding a gift to surprise someone, to get them something meaningful and give it to them, only to have it later be discovered in the trash, to be much worse than saying to someone, I was thinking of getting you X for Christmas and them saying, you know what? No, thanks. I actually don't like X. I prefer Y, but thank you for thinking of me. Sure. It's a little hurtful there in the moment. There's a little bit of squeamish embarrassment, but it's much less painful, much less hurtful than finding a gift in the trash. And I've had it happen. Um, my mother-in-law, the very first Christmas that I spent in England with my husband's family, I went to, my husband lived in student housing and I walked to the store and bought chocolate and dried fruit and brought it home because I knew my mother-in-law liked chocolate, but that she also tried to be pretty healthy. And so I made by hand chocolate bark with some plain, some with dried fruit and some with nuts. Carefully packaged it all up, put it all in a tin, took it out there, gave it to her for Christmas and two days later found all of it in the trash. It was devastating. I had worked so hard to pick something that I thought she would appreciate and show that I had taken time to get to know her. And that's when the idea that it's better to just make the offer and accept a refusal is less hurtful. Conversely, we have a very dear friend that occasionally you'll see mentioned in the blogs and probably on the podcast. And over the years I have said to him, Hey, um, I'm thinking of getting you this for Christmas, or I'm thinking that this would be a great Christmas gift for your girlfriend. What do you think? And sometimes he tells me, no, that's not something either of them would like. And for a minute, for about 10 seconds, I'm a little taken aback and a little shocked by it. But I appreciate so much that couple seconds of shock but genuinely knowing what they're going to enjoy. Because most of us, when we give a gift, we want that gift to have meaning. We want it to be something that they care about because it's our way of showing care. So not to get too far off track, I know I've spent a few minutes on this idea, but just because you say no thank you, and that thank you is important, it doesn't mean you're going to offend someone. and you shouldn't offend someone with that honesty. And if you do, that's not your problem. That's something they're going to have to work through. You do not have to accept something that you will not use, 
find purpose for or enjoy. You can say no, but thank you so much for thinking of me. You can even offer to help find someone that will appreciate it. And if you can't do that, you can always accept it, give it to someone else, and then bring it up later. Lastly, one man's trash is another man's treasure is not always true. Those fruitcakes, for a few years, Grandma tried to give those to people as gifts. They'd come in the mail, she'd pop them in the freezer so they didn't rot, and then she'd try to re-gift them to someone else. Nobody wants an old frozen fruitcake. So, now we come to the question of the day, the whole reason for today's podcast. Why should you keep old sheets? Well, why? Simply? Because old sheets are some of the most versatile home items you will ever have. With a single set of sheets, you can make dresses for little girls out of the pillowcases, rags, shirts, t-shirts, dresses, aprons for adults and kids, men and women. You can make curtains. Back in World War I, sheets were stripped apart, sterilized, then rolled into bandages. You can use them as backing on quilts. You can use them to make smaller bedding for dolls, and my personal favorite, and what I'm using all my old holy sheets for right now, you can strip them apart and create rag rugs with them. I'm using all of our old sheets to make rag rugs for different areas in the new house, and let me tell you, they're awesome. The idea of recycling, reusing, and repurposing is great. It opens up lots of wonderful opportunities for new skills and to decrease expenses around the house. But remember to temper your enthusiasm by the knowledge of what your limits are. Now, this is something I struggle with. I mentioned in our last episode, I wanted to make beeswax lined reusable fabric bowl covers, and I've been meaning to do it for more than a year now. I even have all of the pieces and ingredients, but like with so many things over the years, I just haven't had time or energy, and now I have to set a time limit for it. So by the time we leave next fall, if those bull covers aren't finished, then I will be packaging up all the supplies and sending them off to somebody who might have more time, energy, or motivation to actually get the project done. Staying on the right side of the hoarding line is very much a matter of knowing your limitations and making sure your personal expectations are both reasonable and realistic. That's why steps like giving yourself a time limit are so important. But I can also suggest another option. Pretend like you're moving. When we're suddenly faced with the reality that everything we own is going to have to be packed in a box, that we're going to have to identify and label each and every little item we own, suddenly we're able to look at and see a lot more trash than treasure. There's a hardness that comes with having to pack to move. Perhaps Marie Kondo says it best. Does it bring joy? No? Then it needs to go out. And it's a lot more easy to identify what brings us joy when we realize we have to pack it up and put it in a box. Self-sufficient homesteading doesn't mean you have to live in a hoarder's den that would make the best location for an on-set horror film. Quite the opposite. The focus is on living simply, and sure, recycling and repurposing helps with that, but it's also about a simple living mindset, 
a mindset that takes us out of the madness and clutter of the regular world and gives us a chance to stop and smell the roses, enjoy a beautiful sunset, and hear through the noise of the everyday to the symphony of the natural world. But a house filled to the top with clutter dedicated to projects you might do someday is going to buzz around your head the same day traffic is buzzing in a busy street. So save those sheets, but please throw out those old rubber bands. Until next time, keep faithfully walking the path to your freedom. We love you and wish you the best. Thank you for joining us today. I love sharing with you. And I hope that you feel comfortable sharing with me too. Please, please feel free to get in touch with us. Let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover. You can send us an email at pilgrimfeet at ourpilgrimfeet.com and please visit the blog at www.ourpilgrimfeet.com. I'm Katie Sutton-Smith, and I want to say thank you for joining us today on the Pilgrim Feet podcast. Please sign up for our newsletter and come back next week for more.